Yes, it's back and it's number one. It's Fans on the Run. We've got hits to spare. And you can have one if you like. Everybody wants a piece of the pie. They'll up and come and get your slice. We've got hits to spare. We're looking out the number one. Hello, Pop Pickers. Here we are again for another episode of Fans on the Run. On this week's programme, we have the lad behind the fab gear sounds of beat combo, the poppermost, Joe Kane. The LP, Hits to Spare, was a smash. And they have a new extended play out on the swinging French label, Discs Rogue. Welcome, Joe. Have you been practising? <laughs> You've been practising, haven't you? Uh, how could you tell? That was a cracking, a smashing English accent, I must say. Like, yeah, really good. You can you can totally tell you're still ruled by our queen. Oh no, not the queen, the king. Yeah, I mean, I have I have recorded at least one episode during the the Charles era, but this will be the first one while he's actually been. Fresh. Fresh my memory. Uh, when did the Charles era start? Because I don't, I don't really take much notice of the royals. I, I'm going to be honest. I think it was just after the Queen died. When was that? I can't remember. Like, <laughs> I, it was either September or October. Even she's not sure. I guess we'll never know. There's, there's no way to check these things. We, have, well, we just have to go off our memory last night actually so how are you doing on this on this fine day uh, yeah i'm pretty good i'm very sweaty as i've been uh, i've been out in my studio or garden shed whichever you prefer and um, i've been trying to maximize the space so i've basically dismantled everything and taken it in the house because i've got the house to myself for a couple of days so um, i brought everything in emptied it and hoovered for the first time in four years <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it seems like a common thread among uh, musicians, especially ones that I like, that they all have a garden shed where the magic happens. It's well, Andy Partridge from XTC has the mythical garden shed. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure there is more. Well, there's plenty of garden sheds, but like, does everyone, does everyone use them for music i mean i didn't know andy parsley to the shed that's cool well maybe if we all used our garden sheds to make music the world would be a happier place i think so i think so anyway what's saying um, how so, are you in toronto? Oh, so, sorry how are you in toronto uh, i'm just outside of toronto okay I and actually and if i may kind of shatter the fourth wall for for the listeners you had mentioned that you uh were working with a previous guest of fans on the run jerry hammock yeah well we were just discussing yesterday um basically over the last year after hits to spare i've been working on a second popper most album um myself again but it kind of fell into a <laughs> it fell into production hell and I kind of had abandoned it because I was working on maybe 20 tracks for it. So I was speaking to Jerry and he really he loves the popper most and wanted to get involved. And um, he has agreed to come and do a, a rescue mission on this album. So Jerry's going to come in and actually mix the album, which is pretty cool. I'm a big fan of his books. And uh, so, yeah, you heard it here first. It's not been announced publicly. Jerry Hammock of um, recording... Beatles recording, what's it called? Be the, recording. Uh, the Beatles recording reference manuals, I believe. Jerry Hammock of the Beatles recording reference manual fame is going to be working with the Poppermost on mixing the second album, Fabricadabra. Oh, that is a great name. I think so. It's the name at the moment. It's had about five names so far, and that, that seems to be the one that's sticking. So we'll go with that. What what are the other names that have been kicking around, um, or do you want to keep those close to the close to your chest so you can reuse them later? 
everything gets recycled. But let let me think. Okay, um, today's tomorrow's yesterday was a, a title. Um, Herbal Jazz Odyssey was a one. Uh, uh, God, there was like a, a big name that I had for ages, which was actually like God. I can't remember. I can't remember the distance. <laughs> Were were you going for a for a spinal tap thing with the Herbal Jazz Odyssey? Well, yeah, it's a mashup of uh, the Beatles and Spinal Tap. Obviously, yeah, Herbal Jazz should be rich, you know. Pop, the poppermost Mark II. <laughs> That's it. All right. The rebirth of the poppermost. So now we begin, and I ask you the question: Where it all starts. How did you first discover the Beatles? Well, for me, this is a this is a story I tell often. But when I was growing up, um, my mom and dad weren't really into the, the Beatles, so I kind of was aware who Paul McCartney was, but didn't know who the Beatles was. The, one of the first music videos I remember as a kid was um, "Pipes of Peace," you know, like the kind of first World War one. But you know, I didn't really know who Paul was. But it wasn't until the early nineties. One Saturday afternoon, I had a cold or I was sick or something. I remember I used to go to like the cinema or something, but I was kind of stuck at home sick. So my mum kind of put me on the couch with a quilt. They put the TV on for me and gave me a bottle of Lucozade. I don't know if you get Lucozade over there. It's an energy drink. Before energy drinks were energy drinks. So it's got glucose. So if your kid was sick, you would just load them up on, uh, you know, Lucozade. Anyway, I'm I'm afraid my my knowledge of of Scottish beverages kind of ends with iron brew. Well, you know, there's a lot to learn, and we've got all day. So, <laughs> so there you go, Luke is aid. And um, so yeah, on the couch, TV on, quilt. A uh, twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old me was just sitting, kind of. I think Airwolf was coming on. I don't know. Maybe you're too young for Airwolf. But um, yeah. So the film Help came on in the afternoon. And uh, that sequence at the start, the black and white sequence of the Beatles singing Help, was what did it for me and that song. Because I think it's, you know, it's just one of those songs, like when you're at that age, you're getting into your teens and you start to get a bit angsty or whatever. It just got me at the right time. Um, I could have ended up into anything. I could have ended up into anything metal or whatever like i wanted to be into music like because i knew some guys older than me who played a bit of guitar and i think bill and ted had been out in wayne's world so i kind of liked the idea of being a musician but i had no real but the beatles got me thankfully thank you thank you thank god it wasn't guns and roses or something or or like the the smiths <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't get into like indie until much later um you know, but yeah, I'm I'm very glad that the Beatles were my inroads. So after that uh, Saturday screening of Help, uh, how did it go from there? From there, uh, there was a, a chap called Eric Benzie who I knew, I knew, and I told him I was like, "Did you do you like the Beatles?" He was like, "My mum and dad liked them." So they had his mum and dad had the seven inch of Help. And I copied it onto a cassette. <laughs> I didn't even bother with the B side. Um, so yeah, copied help, and also the same guy I got my first guitar off because he had like an old, you know, like a cheap Spanish classical guitar. Yeah. And uh, I, I had a, <laughs> I had a cardboard cutout of a Robocop because <laughs> so, Robocop Two was out, and I think I got it from the video shop. They used to be down asking, "Oh, have you got any posters or what?" So I put my name on Robocop in the video shop. So I had that in my room, and I swapped Robocop for my first guitar. <laughs> so yeah, that was how it all began. If, if the if the cutout was sturdy enough, you could have, you know, hung the guitar over Robocop. I could have used Robocop as a guitar. There there are so many possibilities. Yeah. So, you, you have your taped... Uh, you know, dubbed 45 of Help onto a cassette. No, I'm down. What was the first Beatle album you got? Uh, I believe 
by the same kind of means. I copied Sergeant Pepper off the same guy's CD. It might have been someone different. I can't really remember. But yeah, going from help to Sergeant Pepper was a kind of like, whoa. Because in the 90s, of course, like um, you didn't have like the internet and you didn't have immediate access to every piece of information. So if you discovered something and like, you know, it was all new to you, then you, you, you go into things in a non kind of linear fashion. Mm-hmm. So the order that I got into Beatles albums is completely random. Uh, so yeah, it was Sgt. Pepper. And then after that, it was Rock and Roll Music Volume 1, which was also taped off a cassette. But the cassette didn't work quite right, so it only copied like one side of the stereo uh, spectrum. <laughs> it was like really reverb vocals and like drums, like sounding like they were on top of Everest or something. <laughs> I and, still and, loved it. And somehow you're still a Beatles fan uh, with a... <laughs> with a cassette of rock and roll music volume one with only one of the stereo channels oh man i love that song hold me tight you know it goes <laughs> yeah it, it, it's surprising there's only just clapping they were really innovative that hand clap instrumental track So one of the other things about you is that uh, you you don't just play Beatles style music. You are are you still with the them Beatles? Yeah, yeah. Them Beatles are like uh, back in action, and uh, this weekend actually, over the last over the over the last couple of months, we've been doing uh, please please me shows because it's been the anniversary, you know. So we've done the Cavern Club. Back in April, May, March, March or April, we done the Cavern Club, sold out, excellent, really good. And we had a very own George Martin as well, who was kind of like, we done it as if it was a recording session. And uh, George Martin also doubled up doing percussion and some keys, so that was fun. And then we done Glasgow, of course, where I'm from. Uh, there's a plug for you. And um, also, yeah, this weekend we're going to Hamburg for uh, it's the first ever come together experience festival in hamburg so we're doing our please please me show once again and also uh, i think we're doing the red album and also some star club stuff so that's going to be fun it may be a little bit last minute for uh, our listeners because when you're hearing this uh we, we're speaking on a tuesday and the show goes out on a friday so you'll have just a day or two to to go see them in hamburg yeah be there hamburgers <laughs> I, I i don't exactly know how big the german audience is for my show but i i i, I choose to believe that i'm the most popular beetle podcast in the entire world i have nothing to back that up but Certainly in west germany i don't know about east i don't know someone should really tear down that wall Exactly. Where's Roger Waters when you need him? Oh, uh, no, the Germans are trying to kick Roger Waters out. Yeah, I thought he was one of them. I've seen him with a big leather trench coat on. <laughs> so how, how exactly did you get involved in in a Beatle tribute group? Um, well, it didn't come into it until quite later on, I suppose. Like it was, the Beatles were always my main focus musically. And um, I always wanted my music to kind of sound like the Beatles and stuff. And I always went to see tribute bands, like some of the first bands I went to see. Like when I got into the Beatles, I would go and see like the Cavern Beatles and the Bootleg Beatles and stuff. So kind of I liked it and I got into it. But um, it wasn't so much later, like maybe when I was turned 30, that then Beatles kind of happened and it happened quite randomly. Um, I was kind of out of work and I'd just come out of a failed marriage <laughs> and then um, I'd moved back in with my mum and dad so I was just about hit 30 and then it just kind of happened out of nowhere like um, Clark and I got together and both had similar ideas and we just kind of threw it together and then it just kind of happened so I was quite lucky but yeah it's been quite a weird weird trip really because you know you have to get better fast you know and then um, learned left-handed bass and stuff like that but 
I still think, you know, I'm still on a mission to get better. I'm always kind of I'm very self-critical, um, but not not as critical as people on YouTube, you know. <laughs> there, there's a Beatle, there's a very obvious Beatle pun I could make, but I shan't. I wish you would. It's getting better all the time. There you go. Not on YouTube. <laughs> no. Um, something that I have been thinking about and i i've had people from different tribute acts on the show before but i don't think i've ever asked them this i i get uh i i've worn wigs before but uh, the fake mustaches and the fake beards is that hell for you on stage um i'm not a massive fan of wearing the mustache and there's a good reason for that because um, I move quite a lot, so like I sweat, and if it's really hot, like the glue just starts to melt. So singing stuff, singing Paul stuff from the Sergeant Pepper era, you really need to open your mouth, like doing Sergeant Pepper and Hello Goodbye. So like, if it's if it's particularly hot, the thing starts to fall off my face, and I have to like turn around, pretend I've had a quick shave, you know, like rip the thing off. So I'm not a massive fan. Like I like wearing it when it's not hot, but when it's hot. It's a bloody nightmare. <laughs> uh, on an average, uh, or in an average, them Beatles gig, how many how many costume changes do you go through? Well, we don't. Them Beatles used to be like a gigging Beatles show, and we would do like theater shows regularly and stuff. Um, but we kind of stopped doing that about five or six years ago now. So now we only kind of come out and do special shows like Please Please Me or Hamburg or. You know, so we'll do like kind of set piece shows, but we used to do like sex costume changes in the show, I think. Okay. The theater show. But now it, it's like a, we're going to do a revolver show. We're going to come yeah. out kind of in that we're, we're, in that gear. We're like a we're a we're a boutique tribute band, man. There there are much worse things to be than a boutique tribute band. <laughs> we're, the, we're the boutique Beatles, but yeah. Yeah, some of that. But yeah, I mean, them Beatles is fun. I'm in, I'm in another Beatles tribute band actually in France called the Love Beatles, which is a, a great band. And, uh, you know, kind of gigging with them regularly, doing like a full theatre show again. Um, so we kind of do the way them Beatles used to do it. And they're a great band. Check them out. Especially all you French Canadians. Oh, uh, the French Canadians don't listen to this show. Bonjour, <laughs> etc. Uh, um, there's, there's one burning question when I think of, of Beatle tribute acts. Where the hell do you get the Sgt. Pepper suits? Uh, well, my first Sgt. Pepper suit was actually, we had like, um, a dodgy old couple who used to manage us, uh, them, in the early days of them Beatles, and then um, they were kind of nice, but you know. They were they were hard work. <laughs> um, so the the lady was called Christine, and they actually bought at auction the original patterns for the original Sergeant Pepper suits. So they got these patterns, and she made us a whole set of suits. She was quite handy with a, a sewing machine, and uh, she made her first suits from these original patterns. And we were amazed because it had like the it had the Beatles, um, you know, measurements from late 66, early 67, whatever it was. And we were kind of amazed at, like, the size of them. Like, Ringo was a tiny. John was tiny, but Paul was actually quite broad, like, on the back and stuff, and his hips. So even though he was like, quite small at that time, he was still much bigger than the other guys. So that was interesting. But, yeah, she made us a set of suits, which kind of ran the course. And then my most recent suit, it's actually like a kind of Chinese one that I got. It's not the best, but I kind of pimped it to, to improve that and improve the details. But I've been kind of, I've been looking for someone to make my new one. So if you're out there and you make certain pepper suits, give me a call. Also give me a call because I want one. <laughs> We've got two customers waiting. I, I mean, I could being a Beatle tribute act, because I do already have the Shea Stadium jacket. Okay. The, the finest tea-colored suit of all time. Yeah. And it's, if if I, 
if what I was told is true, I have one of the very last production Beetlesuits.com shade jackets. I've got one of them as well. Like they're really good. Them ones, I think they're better than the beakware ones. To be honest, the material, it's a better fabric. Yeah, well, I, I like mine just also because I like Russ Lees who make made them. Yeah, he's cool. I've got his um, um, Budokan jacket as well, and and the Apple jacket that he done. I've got that as well. Yeah. See, not only with with that Apple Apple jacket, you you could also start a scaffold tribute act. Oh yeah, how did Mike wear one as well? Yeah, uh, no, he nicked Paul's. Did he? Yeah. Wow, I did. I always wondered what happened to that jacket. Well, I I don't know if he still has it. the The rumor is some fan broke in and stole it. But I saw a, a film clip of of Lily the Pink, and he was wearing the same damn jacket. Wow. Okay. Maybe we should ask him. Yeah, I I don't know how to ask him, but Mike, he's on he's on Facebook. He's got like a he's got like a just like a you know, a normal page. I, I was I thought about adding adding him the other day. He came up and I was like, hmm, should I add Mike McCartney? And then didn't. But we should we should add him and say, hey Mike, where's that apple jacket at? Eh? Mike, if you're listening, and I hope you are. Please email fansontherunpodcast at gmail.com and tell, a, tell us the last known whereabouts. Yeah. And if you've still got it, send it over. Uh, Joe and I will split it in half and take... Uh, I'll, it, I'll yeah. take the back, you can take the front. <laughs> Applejack at spit roast. So now... Now I, I want... <laughs> Jackie roast. Are you ready to rock? <laughs> that that would that would kill at Glastonbury. Yeah, totally. And uh, and and now we'd like to feature our special guest, Dave Grohl. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna be there. You know that you know he's gonna be fucking guesting on drums. Yeah. He's there. Just Dave Grohl bashing it out while someone's just modeling a jacket. Yes, totally. Totally. <laughs> I, I'm still surprised they didn't find a way to work him in to get back. Yeah, well, you never know. Like, we might get the, the nine-hour director's cut featuring Dave Grohl. Oh, Jesus Christ. I hope not. So, the the most exciting... I think the most exciting music out there right now is the Poppermost. How... What are the origins of your career as the Poppermost? Um, Apologies if that sounded quite stilted. I'm, okay. I'm still, I'm still trying to remember how to segue conversations. Well, you're doing a great job. I've, I've actually thought it was a bit stilted. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a bit cheesy. No, it's good. I like it. But um, yeah, no, the Poppermost had its origins in. I kind of decided, you know, I used to I used to have a band called The Usually Sunshine, which was kind of very psych Beatles influenced, and then you know we done a couple of albums. It wasn't purely Beatles influenced, but I was. Oh, wait, uh, what were like, they called? It was called The Usually Sunshine, and okay. um, check out all the albums are on Bandcamp. Uh, personal favorite is one called Watermelon. If you like the Beach Boys and. Beatles. Anyway, I digress. I'm a I'm yes. a big psych guy, so. Well, yeah, check out those the sunshine, man. I think you'll enjoy it. I know. I just noticed we're in like our both of our rooms are exactly the same color, which is quite trippy. Synchronicity. Wow. Yeah. But um. So, yes, the poppermost had been kind of germinating in my idea uh, in my head for a while because. Um, I think before that I made an album as Radiophonic Tuckshot, which I think was too... I used a lot of synths and stuff, and I think a lot of people were kind of like, hey, fuck this guy, Joe Kane. Who does he think he is? He's like a psychedelic power pop guy. He can't use synths. So that album got trashed, and I was quite hurt by it, I think. 
<laughs> so I decided, well, maybe I could just go back to doing something beatly. So I've been kind of collecting guitars. I've collected like a, a, a Rick 325 and I had my Hofner and I kind of wanted a Gretsch, you know. So during lockdown, at the start of lockdown, I got a Gretsch Country Gent. And then later on, I picked up one of those little Vox AC-10s, um, which was great. So I kind of thought, right, okay, maybe I'll make a little project doing this. And originally, I was going to do it as a band, at like a, a collaboration online thing, because that was what was happening, man, yeah. in 2020. That, that was the scene. Yeah. If you remember 2020, you weren't there. Um, but yes, yeah, so I was originally going to do it with Clark from them Beatles. And Joe Montague, who does who does all you need is drums, and someone else who I, I can't remember who else is going to do it. So I kind of started writing songs very quickly, and then also the most important thing about this was I was actually microdosing uh, kind of magic mushrooms at the time. So because as the year went on, I started getting quite kind of depressed and fed up, thinking Jesus, like because I kept thinking, okay, work's going to come back. And we're all having a we're all having a lot of fun, like at the start of the summer and stuff, and you know, at home just drinking lots, listening to the Beatles and stuff, and, and spending lots of money buying records and going crazy. But then, as the summer went on, it was like, wait a minute, when's work coming back? And the money's going down, and so it started to get. I think towards the end of the summer, it started getting a bit grim. I was kind of wondering, wow, what's going on? So, right about August, September. Uh, I think that's when the ideas for Popamo started happening. Then, in the start of September, I started writing the songs and we just started coming out of nowhere. So I started to get into this kind of mindset and this flow, which I'm really into, like just getting, finding that place where songs come out of nowhere. So, yeah, the songs started coming out of nowhere. I was writing like one or two a day, sometimes three. And I kept sending them to those guys going, oh, check these out. Are you guys like any songs? And they were like, no. Nah. No, and I was like, okay, do you want to try this? And they were like, okay, yeah, oh, no, I'm busy this week. So I ended up, I was just like, you know what? I'll do it myself because I can't be bored of waiting. <laughs> While the iron is hot and all that. So yeah, I set my studio up out in the shed and I've got like my little, uh, I've got like a 1965 Ludwig kit. Oh, my I, I saw that in one of the, in one of the, the clips for the, the songs and I was just kind of drooling over all the gear. It used to be them Beatles kit, but um, I kind of inherited it. And um, it's, yeah, it's it's one of my favourite things ever. And it's got a little jazz festival snare. It just sounds great. So yeah, I had all that. I had, that was kind of the start of it. And I think I just started kind of trying to record the songs and didn't spend too much time on everything. You know, I just kind of started quickly trying to bar through it. So the, the whole album took about a month, maybe two months. Um, and it just kind of it kind of recorded itself, and I enjoyed it. Like I think for the first time in a long time, I changed the way I worked and just tried to make everything lively and kind of daft, you know. Like just try to enjoy it. And I think I think that comes through. I think you can hear that I'm not laboring over it. So it's maybe it's not maybe not the tightest album, and it's maybe not like um, the most polished album. But I think it's it's kind of fun. Hey, please please me wasn't that polished either. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, it was just it was just trying to make it sound like a band, trying to make it sound like it's not just me. I remember quite consciously trying to not be producer when I was playing, like trying to pretend to be producer over there and playing guy rather than both in one. So I kinda I suppose I got a bit uh, schizophrenic. But it worked. <laughs> so so what what gear did you did you use when recording the album? Because the the returning listeners know if there's an opportunity to talk talk gear and guitars and drums and all that uh-huh. shit i i am game okay um guitar wise i only had the basics then um so i had my kind of rickenbacker p25 which is a, a kind of is built by it's not a real rickenbacker it's built by a guy here in the uk called harry I'm not going to say his second I, name. I know who you're talking about. Okay, well, you know. I'm not yeah. going to say his name. But you must, like, John Hall must know who he is now. Like, I mean, the guy's probably built more guitars, more Ricks than Rick in the last 10 years. But yeah, so 325 from him, a little Miami one. It sounds great. Um, 
and I had I got my country gen as well, uh, which is a it's a twenty year old Japanese one. You know, it sounds great. I love it. Um, and also, what else? I had a really cheap Chinese J one sixty copy, um, which I kind of spent a lot of time on. I think I, I changed the pickup, improved the pickup on it. And then at that point, that was what I had, and it sounds good. It sounds good, plugged in, and um, what else? Oh yeah, and my kind of my left-handed Hofner I ended up using because it just sounds better than any of the other ones I've got. So all the bass parts are done left-handed, not to be left-handed, but just because that bass sounds superb. And that was it, really. There's not much else on there, apart from them guitars. What about the the twelve string? Oh, the twelve string was actually like a. 70s uh, Japanese one that I used on the album. Um, it was like, uh, I got it for like 30 quid. Suzuki, it's a Suzuki, which is actually lying in bits now. It's unplayable. Oh, but yeah, no. I, I got an album out of it. So, <laughs> Oh, that best 30 quid you ever spent. Oh yeah, but the the, 12, the electric 12 string was actually, was Craig from them Beatles, uh, Rickenbacker 360 12. So yeah. All the electric twelve is a right. And so I I take it the the amps or the amp used was your your Vox AC ten. Yeah, at that point I just had the little AC ten, which is actually great for my space because um, it's so small. But it's actually broken at the moment, uh, which I'm quite sad about. But I've actually got I've got an AC fifteen, like one of these nineties TBX ones, uh, which is great. So I'm kind of using that mostly now for guitars. Likewise, I've got a Steve, I've got a Stephen Walsh built, you know, also amps. Um, he he's like a guy who builds box replicas in the UK. So I've got one in his uh, box UL seven thirties, or is it? Oh yeah. yeah, the oh god, I am so jealous. I have been chasing that tone for <laughs> years with a Y. That. It, that's the the revolver sergeant pepper solid yeah. state amp that's so good <sighs> it's, um, i think it's, it's a solid state front end into a, a tube preamp or something like, i don't know something like that but yeah no it sounds great and it's um, very loud as well like i actually have to put it in a different room to, to kind of crank it <laughs> so that's on the new album that's on the new album um so I I think uh, I think I want to get to the part of the show with the most misleading title I could come up with called the quick fire questions. The an- okay. the the questions themselves are quite quick, but the answers almost always are not and devolve into whatever the fuck. Okay. What is. What is your favorite Beatles song? You won't see me. Really? It's not, you know, it's very hard to pick a favorite, but that's just, I always get asked that question, so I always say that, just because that is one of my favorites. But my kind of favorite Beatles song changes from week to week, you know that? Like sometimes. Sometimes I can get hung up on, like, I feel fine, like, for ages. Sometimes I'm hung up on, like, just obvious ones. It's a lot, like, just certain singles, like, every now and again, like, I'll just put them on, like, one, just listen to it all the time. Especially if I'm doing, like, a Pokemon track or something, like, and I'm trying to just get the feel for something. Well, that's that's the inequality of this show, because I also find it hard to answer, but it's really easy to ask. But yeah, no, you won't see me. I love like it's just something a bit different about it, and just such a nice little groove. It, it's it's one of those kind of uh, it it for me it it didn't really click at first, but over time it just it's it's kind of a sleeper. Well, Paul's got, Paul's got a little phase run of it then, I think, from maybe like the Help album into like uh, Revolver. And he never revisits that again. You know, songs like For No One, I'm Looking Through You. It's this kind of emotional phase where I, 
I think that he's actually putting something of himself into those songs lyrically, which he doesn't do a lot. Um, you know, and he's he's kind of speaking from the heart. We can work it out, you know, like he's, this is in the very artful songs, but very emotional, emotionally direct, which is very rare for Paul. So he has that lovely little phase, which I'm a big fan of. I that's actually never clicked for me before, but it it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Oh my god. There's there's a lovely little phase. I mean, I can't remember all of them, but but go through those albums and there's like um, put put them on back to back, and they're, they're quite a good listen. But it's really Paul like, talking. Paul yeah. kind of frustrated a little. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. through you. Yeah, they're really special little songs as well. I'm a, bit, I'm a big, big fan of that phase. And uh, it's, it, it wasn't like that before or after. And I don't think it re- Maybe on Chaos and Creation, actually, he kind of revisits that. He's getting something out of his, ch- off his chest, you know? Like, But, yeah, it's a cool phase. Now, the flip side of that question. What is your least favorite Beatles song? Next question. Okay, let me rephrase the question. What's your least favorite Beatles song to play as a musician? Um, maybe... Do you want to know a secret? Could you elaborate? I don't know. I just always kind of go. I like. I like it. I like listening to the song. I don't know. Playing it, I always kind of go. Okay. <laughs> Is it just kind of monotonous? No, I don't know. I, I remember recently doing it a couple of times because I've been doing "Please Please Me" and thinking, "Okay, I'm glad that one's over." But, <laughs> but I do. I, I like it. I enjoy listening to it. Do you have a favorite Beatle album? Again, it changes, changes with the season. At the moment, um, um, it's been rubber soul for quite a while, actually. I think because the new album at Faber Cadabra is really, really influenced, but it's it's really influenced by bits of help, rubber soul, UK and US versions. Like I really like the US version. A lot of people in the UK just won't accept that there's an, another version. They're like, no, nah, that doesn't exist. But I really like the sequencing on the US version. Not more or less, but just, it's just a different thing. So it's quite influenced by that. It's quite influenced by the UK rubber soul. It's a bit influenced by Revolver as well. Like side, side one is kind of rubber soul-ish. Side two is kind of Revolver-ish. But the, the big thing that I'm really into, like uh, I really, really love disc one. Of anthology too. Uh, oh yes, which is I always seem to go back to. Like I don't know, I just love the sequencing and just everything that's on this disc one of anthology two. I love, and the new albums are really influenced by that that vibe. I'm I'm going off my memory here because I I don't remember the sequencing as well as I do other Beatle albums. So things like you know that means a lot and. You've got trouble, or you've yeah. got your troubles. Uh, what else? Yeah, that great version of "I'm Looking Through You." Um, you know, it's just I love, I love that. I can't, I can't, can't wait to see. Like, they're supposed to be doing a new version of Anthology this year. They, well, they've been saying there's going to be a new version of Anthology. There's been rumblings of some remastered version of Anthology for like ten years now. But are they gonna are they gonna put Carnival of Light on it? Like it doesn't seem much point if they're not gonna put some new stuff on it. Because well, they've I, got the the new thing with the AI isolated Lennon vocals. Yeah, I mean I'm into that. Like I, I wait I wait here. I mean if it's now and then, we all know what it's gonna sound like. So yeah, I'm, I'm for it. But but I'm we don't saying. know what the what the Beatles themselves played on now and then. So I'm kind of I'm curious to hear what. The, the Threedles did. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but I'm more excited about potential. I, 
I don't think they should bother like AI remixing all the stuff of the anthology albums because I think that stuff will sound great anyway. Like, but I'm more excited about them like taking, you know, if they take off like shit like Eleanor Rigby instrumental and women without you instrumental and give us Carnival of Light. I mean that that's worth mission price alone. I want I'll take now and then. That's cool. I want Carnival of Light. I want. Uh, I don't know. That that'll do me, man. I'll be happy with that. Are Are you one of the people who is who is desperate to hear Carnival of Light? Yeah. <laughs> I I have a bit of an unhealthy obsession with that song and the mythology. Like the first time I met uh, Mark Lewison, I got him to sign the the Beatles complete recording sessions on the page discussing Carnival of Light and I asked him, could you write like a personalized footnote? <laughs> and oh, he man. did. <laughs> he's a nice chap. He's a nice chap. He's he's actually a I, I consider him now a good friend of mine. Oh that's cool. I done a I done a quiz in Liverpool and he was the quiz master. Um how'd you uh, do? My my team lost. Like I didn't know the guys. I just got pulled in at the last minute to go and like be in this team with these guys who thought they knew everything. And they knew nothing. Um, and the other team was like all the, the kind of older guys who work in the Tavern Club, like Bill Heckle and all that. So we were kind of up against it. And at first, like I was suggesting stuff to these guys, and they were ignoring me because they didn't know me. And then it got to the point where I just kind of took over, and like there was loads. I got lots of music questions, and I was I was right, but. It just wasn't enough. Um, I was gutted. But yeah, I got thrown on a team with guys I didn't know. So that, that's my excuse. <laughs> are, are you planning your uh, revenge? Nah. Nah. Best, best left forgotten. <laughs> as, as Nigel Tufnell once said, best leave it unsolved. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, again, flip side of the uh, album question: Do you have a least favorite Beatle album? Well, I mean, the obvious one is Yellow Submarine, isn't it? Like that's the one that gets put on the least. Although, I mean, I'm a fan of like the the George Martin orchestral stuff. Like, if I was put that on, I would, to be honest, I would rather listen to that than Side One. If I wanted to hear Hey Bulldog and stuff, I would put on the Yellow Submarine song track. Which is a fucking exceptional album. It sounds incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, I think that album has the best remixes of oh, anything yeah. in the Beatle catalog. Yeah, man, like Jules uh, Martin hasn't bettered those mixes. No, and if I'm if I'm being a hundred percent honest, I I feel like the remixes have kind of gotten less and less impressive as as time goes on i i'm still a fan of uh, giles's remix of pepper i think it was quite good the only thing i hate about pepper is unleashing the sky and he's got like ding 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 yeah. those and across it's the stupidest thing i've ever heard i i thought that was just kind of neat no i thought it was complete shit that. but on a similar note like on um on tomorrow never knows on the revolver thing he's got like the tom tom like way over there so it's like boom 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 this tom like way over on the side and it's like why sounds shit yeah i mean I, to be honest, i've not i've not went back to the remixes that often i think my favorite one has been the white album i think the, the white album one i felt was kind of hit or miss I haven't played it in ages, to be fair. You, you could make it. a really good-sounding version of the White Album by taking the tracks that the remix did really well and then whatever's left, just the original stereo mix. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, the, the kind of these deluxe editions, the bonus tracks have been where it's at for me. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of the Revolver remix, really. Um, I, I thought... Most of it was okay. I I can't stand what they did to She Said, She Said. 
it's so sanitized. Like it, the drums are just like. What the fuck did they do to the guitars? Yeah, I don't know. It just sounds so tame. When you listen to like the mono version of "She Said She Said," like they're riding the fader on those drums as well. So like the fills and the cymbals are coming up and down, and it's compressing like fuck. And then on this remix, it's just like just sitting in the middle, being fuck all. But the the riff on on the mono and even on the the original stereo, it just hits you like a fucking truck. And on ramming the compressors and everything on that mix, and like, but they they split the two guitars in half, and just one of them's on one side, one of them's on the other, and it just doesn't sound like the same song. It just is disconnected. It's bullshit. Jails, if you're listening, <laughs> cut that out. Cut out. I'll, I'll <laughs> cut that. Out. Or just 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 beep out the swear words. Yeah, <laughs> you big floppy friends. <laughs> I I'll I'll, blo- I'll bleep out those swears. I'll I'll leave in all the other ones I've said. Okay. We love you, Jails. Please, please keep doing Beatle things. Um, here's a bit of a big existential kind of question. What do the Beatles mean to you? You're going to ask me what I think about UFO disclosure? Is that what you're going to ask me? I wasn't, but now I really want to hear what you think about the UFO disclosure. I'm obsessed. Like I'm completely obsessed at the moment. Um, F- fill me in on I'm what's in- been happening. Well, I'm interested in the Canadian take on it because, like, recently last week there was a like a letter leaked by a Canadian uh, member of Parliament who was like writing to the Defence Minister of Canada, asking what's going on, like why, uh, you know. So very interesting. Like, and he admits in the letter that Canada's got some kind of program that uh, retrieving fucking ufos or something so <laughs> you tell me what's going on with canada i after this episode i'm gonna do i'm gonna well thanks a lot joe now you're gonna send me down a fucking rabbit hole and oh, i'm yeah. gonna spend the next two weeks but, thinking about nothing but ufos i'm subverting your podcast man i'm just slowly turning it into a, a podcast about uaps you can't say ufo anymore you know it's uap it's a UAP. What 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 does the acronym stand for? Hey, now you're asking un, unidentified aerial phenomenon. That 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 sounds like the name of a Harry Nielsen album. <laughs> yeah, it does a bit. It may stand for underwriting arseholes and pussies. I'm not sure. Again, there is no way to know. So this this could very well be true. Mark Lewis, if you're listening, let us know. <laughs> uh, he actually probably is listening. Hi, Hi, Mark. I'm making episodes again. Hi. Hi there. Um, so the the other question, aside from the UFOs, that I want to ask you. What what do the Beatles mean to you personally? Well, you know, don't want to sound too cheesy, but you know, the Beatles, um, the Beatles, are, Beatles are my life, man. I love them, and they're like, you know, I can't imagine what my life would be like if I didn't get into the Beatles the way I'm, and like everything, you know, it's kind of sad. Like that, everything. It's not sad for me, but like it could be viewed as sad that everything in my waking existence has some link to the Beatles in some way or not or other. Like um there's, there's so many good facets to the Beatles and like, you know, what they wear and the guitars and what they said and how they looked and the way they recorded. Everything about it is so cool and distinctive. And um you, you can get obsessed with any part of the Beatles lore. You know? And that's probably why there's like six thousand books on the Beatles. Exactly, and that's that's why there's so many different types of Beatles fans as well. Like, I mean, there's there's crazy amounts of like different Beatles, uh, you know, like sub 
sub, uh, you know, sub sub fans. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Subcategories of different uh, you know. different niches. Yeah, it's like and now, like I've noticed in the last five years, actually online, like the Beatles fandom is like totally like kind of not divided. I mean, everyone seems to get on pretty well, apart from like people on Facebook comment sections <laughs> are quite hilarious. So I don't read any of that anymore. But you can get quite angry when you start arguing with like old American guys who think that Ringo put um, tea towels over his drums to kind of keep them keep them from getting wear or some shit like this no he says no sorry he says Ringo used calf skin head so he used to put wet tea towels over his drums to keep his calf skin from drying up and it was like what the fuck <laughs> you insane man that, that, that was ongoing for quite a while but he was like oh no hey man I used to be a session musician back in the 60s this is what we did and that's what Ringo did it's like okay <laughs> You've got to be fucking kidding! Oh, this is real. This is real. That is that is the funniest thing I have heard in a long time. Listen, there's there's no end to that shit on the Facebook comment section. It's crazy. Uh, there, there, there's an old saying. I, I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna butcher this somehow. It's uh, he who knows not that he knows not is a fool ignore him he who knows he knows not is a child teach him he who uh knows not that he knows is something and then the saying goes on more i think there's a shorter version which i've heard maybe on a comedy program it just says if true knowledge comes from knowing then i know nothing the end can't remember what I said. Uh, that's a lot. I will give you that. That's a lot shorter than what I said. <laughs> I don't know if it makes any sense, but there you go. So, aside from the Poppermost LP, uh, could you tell us a little bit about the EP that has just come out? Uh... For for you audio listeners, he is holding up a genuine. 45 RPM vinyl disc in a flip-back cover of... Oh, whoa, he's... Oh, man. I have to dodge these 45s. Uh, yeah, and also, audio listeners, for clarification, earlier when he said our rooms were the same color, we had this kind of burnt orange. Burnt yellowish orange. Yep, exactly the same shade as well. It's quite freaky. Like It's almost like you're in this, the bit of room below me, actually, if you do that. Because the picture also was down exactly there as well. So, the EP. The pictures actually look very similar colours as well. You can't see this one. I'm trying. See, the one behind me there is uh, an old, I think it's a reprint, but a very oh, early this- reprint of a... A concert with one of the most interesting lineups I think you could ever imagine. Oh, yeah. The Yardbirds are headlining, and supporting them are everyone's favorite band, Dave D, Dozy Beaky, Mick and Titch. Oh, yeah, I mean, they put some good songs. I'm back. Sorry, I was. I was just, uh, I keep on forgetting what people can't see this. Anyway, the EP. <laughs> so this EP was recorded actually last November now. And um, I wrote all the songs for it in one week. So this is not nothing to do with the second album. This is a kind of standalone EP. Mm-hmm. I wrote all the songs in a couple of days. And um, and it's the first pop most release to feature uh, a full band. So it's got Richard who plays bass. Ross on drums and Craig on uh, lead guitar. Craig, who's also in them Beatles as well. So we recorded all the songs in one day, put live backing tracks and uh, overdubbed the vocals. But yeah, all all the all the music was recorded live mostly with a couple of overdubs. So we tried to do it proper Beatles style in my tiny shed, which was really nice. So it's kind of fun, and um, I think it still sounds like the popper most. So I tried to make them play as badly as me. <laughs> 
reports. Um, how this this is this is more of a question that I'm asking, and I I don't know if my audience will care, but the you know the target audience for this show is me. Um, how how exactly do you mic your drums? Uh, before before I tell you, I will say that the target audience for my music is me. So we've got that in common. Like if I make music that I would listen to, I'm happy. And um, if anyone else likes it, they're insane. But yeah, drums. Um, my basic drum setup is I've got I've got an AKG D19. You know, like the Beatle mic above it. But um, I don't have a lot of space, so in that mic, I think to get like what the Beatles were getting, you need like you need a lot of space over the drums just to capture a really nice balance sound. I think I don't think they work great in a small room, but I use it anyway above. So a lot of my treble end and the drums comes with that. I actually use a a ribbon mic out front of my kit, which kind of brings in a bit more low end and a bit more space. Um, I've got an AKG. D12B, which is like a later version of a D20. And that's for the kick, I would, I would assume. Yeah, for the kick. And um, sometimes, sometimes, I've usually always got a mic, some mics on the snare above and below. So sometimes I'll mix them in just to get a wee bit more snare. Sometimes I don't. If there's enough snare, I don't. But um, yeah, I do use them. And the mics I use in the, the drum, uh, the snare drum, are actually these really cheap mics. They're like cheap copies of a an SM57 by a company from China called Pyle, P-Y-L-P. Oh, yes. And they make this mic, which is called a PDM something, I don't know, but they're super cheap, like fucking 10 buck mics. And they sound great. I love them. Like, And you can actually use one as an overhead. I think they sound quite similar to a D19. So check it out. Check I... your budget. <laughs> Ten dollar fucking mic from China, like, and don't spend five hundred dollars on a broken D nineteen. Well, I, I'm I'm trying to get back into recording, so I'm trying to figure out a setup for my drums. I'm 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 into like cheap stuff as well. I've got a lot of cheap crap. Um, yeah. I just started doing the pop more stuff. Picked up. Some, I've always had some decent stuff and shit, and I've picked up uh, better stuff in the last few years, but. I still use a lot of crap cheap gear as well, which I swear by. Like, if something sounds good and it does a the job, then stick with it. Yeah. Don't just get something because you think it's cool. And a lot of the time, you get stuff that you think, oh, the Beatles used this or this works. And unless you've got the space to get up, especially with microphones, unless you've got the air and the space, sometimes they can sound pretty crummy. Yeah. So work work with what's right for you and your space, I say. It's not like we're all recording in Studio 2. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, make the most of what you've got. And um, I always think, you know, if you want to sound if you want to sound similar to the Beatles, it's all about the feel and, like, the feel and the sound and, you know, like, anyway, you know, <laughs> that's my two cents. I don't like to be too, um, I don't like to, to be too um, preachy about recording. It's like, a lot of guys who do YouTube videos and stuff, they're all like, Oh yeah, the Beatles did this, and if you want to do it, you've got to do it like this. And I would never like to do that because I think it's all very subjective. And everyone, if you want to know how it was done, you know, you can buy recording the Beatles or whatever, and it will tell you how it was done. Something like that. Well, well, that book's like a thousand dollars now. Is it? That the red one that looks like an EMI tape box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's very very out of print. Okay. So I'm sitting on a little nest egg then. I'll you retire. Are. Well, that's cool. And uh, I think this brings us to the part of the show where I turn things over to you. Uh, what would you like to plug? Where can we find your music? Where can we find you? Okay. Um, anyone stateside in America and Canada, of course, uh, uh, can... I think you can still buy LPs of Hits to Spare, the first album. I've got a CD here. You can buy it on CD. I don't have any vinyl anymore. Um, I think I think I sold my personal copy, actually. So I might end up buying one for myself. Well, there, there's some on Discogs. Oh, yeah? And, and if I there think... was uh, only one left on your band camp, 
then there isn't any more because I I bought one. Well, you probably bought it from the label Bandcamp. Like they're kind of connected. So if you buy it over there, the label will send it. So it won't be me sending it, unfortunately. Crushed. I don't have any. I don't have any. I'm going to have to do a J.R. Hartley and I buy it. If you don't know who J.R. Hartley is, he used to be an advert for like the Yellow Pages phone book. It was like this old geezer like walking around bookshops, you know. Maybe like, do you have a copy of Fly Fishing? And they were like, no. And then it was like a montage of him going in all these shops looking disappointed because they don't have Fly Fishing uh, by J.R. Hartley. He's like, how you got Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley? Nope. So he's very disappointed. And then it cuts to him going home and his daughter going, did they not have it, Dad? No. And then he sits down, has a cup of tea, and he's looking through Yellow Pages phone book. He phones up the last the last bookshop in England. Hello, do you have a copy of Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley? Oh, you do. My name? It's J.R. Hartley. It was him all along. What a genius advert. That That's a proper M. Night Shyamalan style twist. Well, exactly. I, I'm the new G.R. Hartley. Let it be known. You, you should put that in the liner notes of the new album. We're going to do that. G.R. Hartley. For the Sorry. record, listeners, he has just jotted... I believe he has just jotted it down. But, and I've also... I've actually also drawn a, a completely bizarre doodle as well, which I think might be the secrets of the universe. I, 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 I'm not exactly Doctor Rorschach, so I'm not the I'm not the one to talk to about that. There are seven levels. That is my favorite Beatle quote of all time. <laughs> so. People can find you on Bandcamp. They can find you on uh, yeah. all of those evil streaming services. The latest release, the new EP, is called Le Popermos because it came out in a French label called uh, Rogue Records. Disc Rogue, whatever you like. So that's out now. It's great. And um, you can get the first album, Hits Despair. And uh, the new album is currently being mixed by Mr. Jerry Hammock. Well, we're just about to begin and uh, that's going to be called Fabi Cadabra. Don't know when it's going to come out. Don't care. As long as it comes out and I never have to think about it again, I'll be happy. Um, and probably some other little single and EP projects coming up because I want to do some more recording for these guys. Um, quick. You know, for me now, the older I get, the quicker, the better. And I used to like doing it all myself, but it's getting too hard. Like, I mean, I'm getting old and... Uh, Mixing and writing and recording and producing an album is like just you, I don't know. My mind can't handle it anymore. My ears can't handle it as well. My ears aren't getting any better. But enough of my yakking. <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna do a little bit of a self promotion. Uh, let's see if I remember the whole spiel. So you can find Fans on the Run on Facebook at Fans on the Run. That it has a very long title, but it's on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Fans on the Run Pod, I think. You can find us on Instagram at Fans on the Run Podcast. You can reach. <laughs> Am I being heckled? No, no, that's just oh. bloody dog. Oh, you can find me. You can find the show streaming wherever good podcasts can be heard. All of that stuff. Uh, listen if you want. Fans on the run. And that was the fans on the run. So, on a I, I, I think I'm going to cry. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm going to cry. One, one last question before we say goodnight to our listeners. Will the poppermost ever turn on, tune in, and drop out? Well, the, the new album has some uh, sitar on it. There's a couple of... We're, we're, we're almost going into psychedelic territory on the new album. On side two, there's like a couple of uh, almost... We're getting there. 
but yeah, I think one day I'll make the. I've got a couple. I've got like a big list of song titles and album title ideas. So I'm definitely going to, you know, the first album's the kind of a poppy kind of album. The new one is a bit more folky and kind of a stone sounding, I suppose. And then I'll probably make the psychedelic album totally. But it might take me ten years to write. Who knows? I'm, I'm like the new Mark Lewis, and waiting for that that elusive next book or album, which is hopefully going to come before I die. Once again, Mark, if you're listening, and I'm 90% sure you are. You're going to get your two books out. You're not going to die. It's okay. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, Mark. Um, Joe, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. It's an absolute pleasure. It's been a good laugh. And uh, maybe we could do part two one day. I would be more than happy to do a part two. Yeah, the Blue Podcast. To, to all of you out there listening, sorry it's been so long. I think I'm back. I'm back. Oh, uh, I, I almost accidentally started quoting a Gary Glitter song. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to avoid that. But thank, thank you. you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for the continued support. You can go home now. Bye, everybody. Fans on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexanian. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Shilltown production. 